podcast. Thank you for having me, Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thank you for having me. Welcome to a new year. To 2017. This is it. It's really exciting. Really we, exciting we about it. we made it as a as a species and a and a nation and a and a planet. We made it to 2017, and we should all be patting each other on the back. Because <laughs> we just barely made it. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, we're not going to make it all the way through 2017. <laughs> let's be clear. But we made it to 2017. We did make it to 2017. Did you have a? We have not. We have not done this in a little while. Have you? Did, did you have a great holiday and all of that? I had a totally fine holiday. Everything was nice and and pleasant and. Uh, there was a brief respite from discussing the matters of state in America, yes. which was nice. And now we're right back at it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm just glad that you, we actually had the goofiest, uh, uh, holiday. We, we went through, through a various series of kind of weird coincidences and and uh sort of my job i don't know if i mentioned to you i'm writing a book about harry houdini right and uh we ended up in vegas brought the family to las vegas uh over the holidays which i gotta say las vegas in itself is like a surreal experience sure but going over the holidays with your two fairly young daughters that's a weird place to be yes that's correct it's and and a a a borderline intolerable place to be (laughs) Right. They just kept looking up at me, just kept like and and they they had one question in their mind, which was just why? Yeah. Why is any of this here? Why is any of this exist? Are there not people starving? Like, why why is this happening is really what their question was the whole time. Sure. Bizarre. Just a very bizarre experience. I did see, by the way, I just just I know, you know, you're. You're famous and all of that sort of thing, but you know, people like me, you know, we 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 just we cling to our our brief you know moments of of uh, brushing with fame. I saw Nicolas Cage mm. while I was in Las Vegas, which I don't think is, you know, I think probably every person who's ever gone to Las Vegas has seen Nicolas Cage. Um, but it was just it was a weird experience seeing Nicolas Cage just kind of wandering Las Vegas. Well, see as. A famous person, and sure. you're you're right. I am I'm famous. That I, mean, I don't know. It's, it's I don't know if it's the number one word to describe me. Like right. I would say movie star good looks would be number one, but sure, probably one or two. See, that wouldn't phase me at all because again, as a famous person, when I see another famous person like Nicolas Cage, <laughs> what I think to myself is, well, that's not interesting to me because he and I are the exact same level of famous. <laughs> What's interesting is that Nicolas Cage is the one that goes home and goes, I saw Michael Short. Yeah, that's today. right. That's what he's he's like, Whoa, that big day for me. Big day in the Cage household. <laughs> it was that that's no question true. The great the great part of that was I was with a, a friend of mine and, and my friend is he's he, he lives in LA and he sees celebrities all the time and 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 he is I don't know why he started doing this, but he he feels like he doesn't ever want to bother them or anything, but he wants to say hello. So, so as Nicholas Cage was walking by, he said, hello, Mr. Cage, uh, to which Nicholas Cage replied, hey, and that was it. <laughs> that's pretty good. That was, that was, as far as like celebrity interactions go, that's about as good as you can hope for. You can't, you can't get better than that. No, I don't think you can get I a better. I've found in my lifetime that any time I've seen a person 
a famous person that I legitimately wanted to say hello to or to just say like just you know I'm a fan of your work or whatever sure. I I've, I almost never do it because if you play it out in your head there is literally zero good outcome for what <laughs> could happen uh, because the best possible outcome like the best possible outcome I actually achieved once which was I was I was working at Saturday Night Live and Wes Anderson was there okay and Rushmore is one of my all time favorite movies I think it's sure. essentially a, a perfect movie I love it. And Wes Anderson was there, and I was about to leave SNL, and uh, and so I, I was like, you know, I, I just want to tell Wes Anderson how much that movie meant to me, and so I went up to him and I said, hey, I'm a writer on the show, and I just want to tell you that I love your movies, and I think Rushmore is just one of the greatest films of all time, and he very pleasantly said, thank you so much, that's really nice of you to say, and then no one knew what to do next. Like, there was just this moment, this pure like white hot terror flooded over me where i was like i i don't have a sec i don't have a follow-up like i don't have a there's something that's it that's what i wanted <laughs> out of this interaction and i got the best version of it and now i just have to like get out of here and i yeah. just like mumbled something and just ran away <laughs> and that is the best that's literally the best outcome like there are thousands of other outcomes and most of them are like disappointing, like the person right. is rude to you or the person isn't rude. They're polite, but they say thank you, but I don't really want to take a picture or talk to you right now or whatever, which is totally within his or her right to say that. And then you feel bad for making them do it for a second and interrupting their private life. I mean, it's just like there's so many bad outcomes and that even when the good outcome occurs – which uh, I would count the Nicolas Cage interaction as a good outcome. A really good outcome. Yeah. Then at the end of that, you're like, okay, so what, then what? What do you – now you're like, oh, yes, I I said hello to Nicolas Cage and he said hey back to me. That and a, and the going price of a cup of coffee will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, that's all you need though. That's all I wanted. That, honestly – there was literally nothing else, and it was perfect because he was walking really fast. Um, so there wasn't even a it was there was no chance for an awkward moment. The only thing that could have happened is he wouldn't have said anything, which sure. would have been perfectly fine too. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. No, I I do. I I have had those moments. You know, especially when you're. You know, it's good for me in that when I'm usually meeting somebody that I really respect or admire, I'm interviewing them at some point. So I, I do get, I at least have the excuse to ask them questions. Uh, but I would never like, that's like we were, I, I've told you this story before, but we were in a restaurant with Paul Rudd once. And my wife was just pleading with me to go over to talk to Paul Rudd. Cause Paul Rudd is a big chiefs fan. And, 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 uh, uh, undoubtedly had read at least something that I'd written. And so she, and I'm like, what good could come other than like me saying, Mr. Rod, I'm a huge fan of your work. I think you're great. And him saying, Oh, thank you. I've read something you wrote once. Um, what, what's next? There's nothing, there's nothing next That's beyond right. that. Yeah. So I, anyway, I don't know how we got off on that tangent. Um, but it's great to be back talking complete <laughs> nonsense uh, yeah. like usual. Uh, we have um, we have a, a sponsor for the podcast this week. Uh, Blue Apron is our is our sponsor. Thank you to, to Blue Apron uh, for sponsoring the podcast. You you've mentioned you know all about Blue Apron. Yes, I know what Blue Apron is. Yes. So Blue Apron is, for those of you that do not know, uh, and I'm reading now, they're the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery surface in the country. I don't know who's number two, 
but they are number one. Uh, mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Uh, we actually just had uh, a Blue Apron meal, like literally last night. They, they, they come in, you get this incredibly cool like box of stuff, uh, and it's in this really interesting kind of tin foily type of thing to keep everything cool. And you open it up, and it's like just the ingredients. It's not boxed up stuff like in a in in one of those other food services. Like there's inside, there's here's a here's celery, and here's you know they have all these ingredients, and they have these cards how to make stuff. Uh, and then you just make the things that they are giving you. It's incredibly cool. It's 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 uh, reasonably priced. It was fun for all of us, the family, to cook the stuff up. So I'm just saying it. Blue Apron, great stuff. And uh, I don't think that they actually are giving us any sort of special deal, which is weird. I think that we should get something special. Right? They, they are. Oh, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. They do. There is something special. Here you go. Yeah. See, I need to read these things before they give them to me. Uh, check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. Oh, man, it's not just anything. Your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash podcast. That might be the best offer we've gotten yet. Now, I know that if you're a new listener to this uh, podcast, and by the way, if you are welcome, you <laughs> uh, might seem like what just happened was unprofessional. Utterly unprofessional. In the sense that Joe hadn't read the copy of the sponsor of the podcast before we just hit record and started recording it. But I'd like to say two things. Number one, uh, it's really par for the course. Right? That's, <laughs> that's what you're going to get pretty much every week. And number two, it's really not Joe's fault because we've only done um, 105 or something of these. Right. So you can't expect someone to you know be up to speed yet when you've only done 105 <laughs> of something. It's going to take – what do you think? What is – I think by number, like, let's say number 250, we're going to have this down. Well, what is, well, what, Malcolm Gladwell says 10,000 hours. We're nowhere near that. Yeah, that's right. That's we're right. nowhere near that. Although, uh, those 105 podcasts or whatever it is do total <laughs> about 9,300 hours. I was going to say, we're actually closing in on the hours <laughs> of podcast. Not to mention the ones we recorded that never made. That's the right. That you never erased or <laughs> that just got, got eaten up by the machine or whatever. Yeah. The great thing about this is me not having read that people actually can get this really cool free thing uh, that they sent to me, that they all they wanted me to do is read this. Um, the fact that I had not read that, I would put as no higher, no higher than like eighth or ninth on our horrendous advertising readings. I mean, yeah, that's about right. It's, it's, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's not even close to, I mean. It doesn't register on the Richter scale, yeah. No, it, it, no you having, having wanting people to chloroform you <laughs> still <laughs> ranks number one on, on the let's try to sell razor advertising. I stand by that statement. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time since I did not remember to say it before. If you go to blueapron.com slash podcast. How cool is that? We have our own address there. First three meals free with free shipping. So, I mean, we're talking completely free, just completely free. And the meals are really good. I mean, that's, that's not a joke. The the real, the meals are really good. We had like a spaghetti kind of bolognese ish type thing that they threw in there with, with all kinds of cool. It was, it was good. And the, 
my daughters made it. It was super fun for them and Great. super happy with Blue Apron. All right. We are going to do this is this is the I think the second or maybe the third year that we're going to do this. We are going to go down the Hall of Fame ballot for the Baseball Hall of Fame. They're going to make the announcements this week, assuming I actually get this uh, produced in time to uh, to to beat that. Um, so we're going to just go through all 34 players of the Baseball Hall of Fame because yeah. that's because we're that's what we do. Now that's what we do. Here's what I'm going to do, just so you know. Last year, I argued. Uh, entirely from the point of view of someone who did no stat- statistical analysis. I remember this. But I argued pure based on just guts and grit and determination and that kind of thing. Sure. So I've decided this year what I'm going to do, again with very little research, is make an argument against everyone that I think should get in and for everyone <laughs> that I think should not get in. So if I, if I say, here's why this guy should get in, that will be a person that I don't actually believe should get in. And vice- okay. This will be really easy for people to follow. Yeah. You know, the you're, you being opposite man uh, right. as we go through all 34 uh, of them. And we're going to just go right up and down uh, from from. But and by the way, we should we should make the, the point that uh, there, you know, these are all people in order to get on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. You have to have played 10 years in the major leagues and you also have to get through a, a committee of some sort that not every fully qualified person is on the ballot. For instance, this year, uh, for some reason, and I'm not entirely sure what the reason is, Javier Vasquez did not make the ballot, even though he was much better than a lot of people on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why Javier Vasquez did not make the ballot, uh, but he that would be an example. So so we, we, you know, we really are talking about, there are 34 players this year. All of them were very good players. There, yeah. There's not a... There's not a, a bum in, in this group. Correct. So, and that, I think it's important because you start talking Hall of Fame, you know how people are. They just, you start making really good players sound mediocre because you're just trying to, like, argue against them as Hall of Famers. I, we're not doing that. We're going to start with Matt Stairs. Matt Stairs obviously needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Of course. Matt Stairs, shoe in, Hall of First Ballot. Uh, <laughs> professional hitter. There's your first argument. Just professional hitter. Did nothing but hit, Matt Stairs. 265 homers, that's a really good amount of homers, no question, and again, I've done no research, definitely has more home runs than certain players who were in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I bet he has more home runs than Home Run Baker did, for example, and that guy's name was Home Run Baker. <laughs> do you, you have more home runs than Home Run Baker, you deserve to be in. Uh, 477 career slugging percentage. Very strong. That's pretty good, yeah. Uh, 832 career OPS, 117 OPS plus. I mean, this guy, what else do you need to know? Matt Stairs, Hall of Famer. Matt Stairs Hall of Famer and Matt Stairs probably the closest thing baseball has had in recent years to a softball player playing major league. Yes, baseball. absolutely. Great mustache. <laughs> uh, great mustache. Great. Perfect softball player build. Build. Professional hitter Matt Stairs. All right, Matt Stairs is going in. All right, so thirty-three is uh, Arthur Rhodes. Which actually, I would have had Rhodes a little lower, but but you know that's not a lot lower he can go. Uh, Arthur Rhodes has to go to the Hall of Fame because he pitched 700 years. Yeah, that's right. He had uh, he pitched in like he pitched in 900 games over 899 years for 47 different teams. It's amazing. Some teams that didn't that if you go back and look at them, they didn't actually exist. He played for teams in parallel universes that didn't exist. 1152 career strikeouts, more strikeouts in his career than uh, Trevor Hoffman. How about that? How about, How about that? 
yeah. more innings than 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 Trevor Hoffman as well. Yeah, I mean that that sort of decreases the value of his. Strength. Well, I'm just I'm just saying. Here's the thing, okay? So you look at Arthur Rhodes and Trevor Hoffman, who has a very good chance of going in this year. Um, managers said, "No, I want Hoffman more. He pitched more innings. He was more. He was used more often than Trevor Hoffman." Yeah, yeah, yeah all right, uh, yeah, and a left-hander, lefty, <laughs> lefty specialist. And he was on that. He was on the the Mariners, famous Mariners team, right? The one hundred and sixteen games or whatever it was. He was also on the twenty-seven Yankees, so he had actually a double. Thing. He was yeah, on two yeah. of the greatest teams ever. Definitely vote for Arthur Rhodes, yeah. Freddie Sanchez? What is your Freddie Sanchez argument? Freddie Sanchez won a batting title. <laughs> Let's not forget <laughs> that Freddie Sanchez won a batting title. I mean, that's a big deal. Very few people win batting title. In 2006, Freddie Sanchez won a batting title. He uh, was 17th in the MVP voting, which ain't nothing. He was a three-time All-Star. He had 53 doubles that year. 53 doubles. I bet there's a lot of Hall of Famers who never hit 53 doubles in a year. <laughs> What a batting time! I mean, he's a he's a, it's a no brainer. It is a no brainer. Three forty four that year. By the way, that was that was that was like a big time year. If he yeah. had done that, like nine more times. Yeah, he had two. He had he had two hundred hits. He had fifty three doubles. Yeah, he hit three forty four. He had an eight fifty one OPS. He, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Pat Burrell is in the Hall of Fame, obviously, just because he's named Pat the Bat. Pat the Bat. There's your, Pat- there's your argument. Full stop. His nickname was Pat the Bat. Hall of Famer. Full stop. <laughs> I don't think we need to say anything more. No, Pat the Bat. We really don't. Pat, Pat, Pat the Bat, 292 home runs, which is more home runs than Matt Stairs. We already, we already put him in the Hall of Fame. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Pat, how, do you, how do you not vote for Pat Burrell? <laughs> Orlando Cabrera is, is, is a personal favorite of yours. Orlando Cabrera is kind of the reason the Red Sox won the 2004 World Series. He replaced Nomar at the All-Star break. He played phenomenal defense for the rest of that season. He also had an incredible postseason, both offensively and defensively. And he taught all of the players on the Red Sox cool handshakes, that they had personalized handshakes with every player on the team. Totally great clubhouse guy, great clubhouse chemistry. Uh, yeah, Orlando, easy. Just, just for that alone, the 2004 Red Sox. Being on the 2004 Red Sox from August 1st, through the playoffs in my book there's there's your all of fame candidacy right there by the way if is teaching people how to do a cool handshake is that enough to make you a clubhouse leader oh definitely are you kidding i mean you you can do a lot less than that and become known as a clubhouse leader what's funny about clubhouse leaders that there are certain people who are just who are clubhouse leaders because they do all that kind of stuff, you know, cool handshakes, and they make jokes, and they right. they play the card games or whatever. And then there's other people who are clubhouse leaders because they don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> like, you know, like Tim Duncan, for example, clubhouse leader just because he's, like, quiet and steady and never does anything wrong and, like, leads by example. But both sides of it – and I'm not saying this is illegitimate. This is just one of the quirks of not only sports but also, like, the concept of leadership is you can get the exact same designation by being – utterly opposite on uh, uh, people on the on the scale of sort of extrovert or introvert i like the people who lead by example so it's just i just like because announcers loved it he's he doesn't say a lot just leads by example yeah it always feels like lead by example is a euphemism for is kind of a loner but he's good at his jobs <laughs> it's like he doesn't actually like care about leading necessarily but actually wishes people would stop following him. I right. mean, it's just basically not super interested. In Wants anybody. everyone to leave him alone, but is very good at being like a tight end or whatever. 
<laughs> All right, Casey Blake. Um, Wait, you skipped one. Well, I'm, I'm going to go back because because oh, okay. that's going to be a big one for you. Yeah. I, I I'm trying to trying to keep it in some order here. So, uh, Casey Blake. Frankly, just the name alone, again, like Pat the Bat, Casey Blake. That totally sounds like a movie baseball player, doesn't it? Great name. Uh, played on some really great Indians offenses. Uh, never led the league in any one statistical category, even though he played for 13 years. That alone, that's hard to do. <laughs> that that is the biggest stretch so far, right? So, some, by the way, had some legitimately very good years. Obviously, all these players did, but he had twenty eight home runs one year, and he had a, sure. an OPS plus over a hundred for his career, and you know, better than average player, and had some legitimately good like eight eight thirty OPS kind of years. Uh, played thirteen seasons, a very good career. A lot to be proud of, Casey Blake, and because <laughs> he has a lot to be proud of, I'm going to say he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Have have we said one person yet who deserved to be on this ballot more than Javier Vasquez? Uh, without again, with doing no research, I would say no. I you, you might have an argument with the guy you skipped, and we'll get back to. Yes, that might be an argument that he he might deserve slightly more, maybe. But no, I don't think so. Yeah, I I think I it's. I don't understand it. And maybe there's some quirk that he couldn't be on the ballot this year because I don't know why. But maybe he – because he's supposed to be. I mean, he's 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 definitely been retired long enough to be on the ballot. So I, I don't know. Hopefully he'll get on the ballot at some point. All right, Carlos Guillen, uh, just a – actually, Carlos Guillen is a very, very good baseball player. Very just a good. Very, yeah. very good baseball player. Didn't really last long enough uh, for some people, but for you, Hall of Famer. Oh, easy Hall of Famer. Easy. I mean, three-time All-Star. Carlos, three-time All-Star, top ten MVP once. Uh, his twenty-eight to thirty seasons um, for Detroit, right after he, he left Seattle, are are three. I mean, he he never played a full season. He was always hurt, but he, legitimately great hitting shortstop. I mean, like uh, you know, five forty-two OPS level good. Yeah, uh, twenty homers, forty doubles, kind of good. Um, Pretty good fielder, maybe not as good as we maybe thought. Uh, always hurt, but you know what that means to me? Played through pain. Always played through pain, and for that reason alone, I would say Hall of Famer. Played hard. Played hard. He did. He was He was very hard. It's interesting, you know, you, you talk about the full season thing, and, and, and that really is, when you look at these guys, you're looking for uh, great seasons. And in order to have a great season, you have to play 150 plus games. Yeah. I mean, that just, you know, otherwise, even if you have a great like season, you know, rate stats or whatever, batting average homer, I mean, uh, on base percentage slugging, it still doesn't look that great because you only played 102 games or 110 games. So you didn't really compile the numbers. His two full years, he had two years where he played 150 plus games. He had 320 with 19 homers, 100 runs and 296 with 2100 homers, 102 RBI. So like his, if he could have stayed healthy, that's that's pretty close to Hall of Fame level, right? There. Yeah, I mean he lost half his age 29 season right in his prime. A, a very good season, uh, a great half season could have been a truly great full season. Sure. Uh, and yeah, he he missed 50 games when he was 27. He missed you know 50 games when he was 32. He and then after 32, he never played more than 80 games in a season. He was out of baseball at 36. So. Yeah, it's a little sad when you look at back at, at guys like this because it's like, well, it's it's all it's a it's a mini version of Nomar to me. Like Nomar right. will never get into the Hall of Fame, but if he had stayed healthy, 
he was, you know, certainly on track. And he just, oh, yeah. he had fluke injury after fluke injury. He, you know, he got hit by Al Reyes and tore a tendon and the sheath of a tendon in his wrist and missed a whole year. And he had a groin problem and he had a, he had, he had, you know, all sorts of problems. And I don't know what Gian's problems were offhand, but the, yeah, he, he, his, his peak was pretty high. It was high. Well, this is this is one of the interesting things about the Hall of Fame, and, and uh, not to not to get serious or anything, um, but to put a Hall of Fame career together, like requires so much more than just being a great baseball player or or having a great peak. You kind of you you know, and our, the next guy, Melvin Mora, for instance, Melvin Mora didn't make it to the big leagues until he was twenty eight years old. I yeah. mean, like as a full time player. And then he played in the middle of his career, age 31, 32, 33, he he was pretty close to Hall of Fame level. I mean, he yeah. was, you know, his 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 2004 season, we led the league in on base percentage hit 340 with 27 homers. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. he just a fantastic season and you know, and then but to, you have to stay healthy, you have to uh, get up fast enough, you have to be able to put in you know, 18 years of, 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 of quality baseball. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of different things. It's it. When you look at Melvin Mora, who, by the way, hall of famer, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> you, you see like that, that peak season, he had a 981 OPS and, and it was a 155 OPS plus. And the year before it was 143 OPS plus like yeah. those two years. And he only played 96 games the year before, but he was, he, he, his ceiling was hall of fame player. Right. You realize that, the actual Hall of Famers are guys whose ceilings are Hall of Fame players, and they reach their ceiling when they're like 22, right. and then they stay at or near their ceiling until they're 38. Like, exactly. It's just this crazy – it's like they, there are guys who like just glimpse their ceiling, and then they – and they're not close to it on either side. And then there's guys who like, you know, Mike Trout being the extreme example, who arrive in the league at their ceilings – and then remain there or or go above their ceiling, but never dip very far below their ceiling for 15 to 20 years. And that's yeah. what, that's the kind of career that becomes unfathomable and obviously by definition a Hall of Fame career. Yeah, no, that's that's 100% right. I you know, I've in, in doing I've written about every single person on this ballot and and uh one of them I was comparing to Eddie Murray and I was saying that at their peaks, I think it was Fred McGriff, at their peaks, Fred McGriff was Every bit as good as Eddie Murray. I mean, you know, the, you can take defense or whatever into in account, but every bit as good a hitter certainly is Eddie Murray, and if not even a little bit better. Um, but Eddie Murray's peak lasted like 18 years. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah. like he never came off that peak, and Fred McGriff had a very long stretch where he was a very good player too, but not as long as Eddie Murray. Like Eddie Murray was just, he was like, okay, this is very, very good. This is like a, a nine on the scale of 10 kind of season or an eight and a half on the scale of 10, but I'm going to stay at this level forever. Yeah. And then that's a hall of famer. Yep. All right. Edgar Renteria. I, I think that I should have had Orlando Cabrera and Edgar Renteria sort of back to back. Right. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, they, yeah. they sort of connect with you. Yes. They played for the Red Sox in back to back seasons, Cabrera in 2004 and then Renteria in 2005. Renteria was a terrible bust with the Red Sox. He was a, <laughs> He was supposed to be the, you know, the shortstop of the future. He didn't have a very good year, and they promptly got rid of him. But uh, first, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. <laughs> Let me just give you some Hall of Fame stats on Edgar Renteria. First of all, he led the league twice in in uh, in a category. Uh, sacrificed bunts when yeah. he was uh, 20 and played for the Marlins. 
Sure. And then uh, he led the league in caught stealing uh, at age 21, playing for the Marlins. And, I mean, if you lead the league in caught stealing, what does that mean? It means you're on the bases a lot. It means you're an aggressive base runner. Uh, you know, that's a Hall of Fame that's a Hall of Fame kind of a profile right there. He was uh, he was second in the Rookie of the Year voting. He was a five-time All-Star. Yeah. He was in the top 20 in MVP voting twice. He won two gold gloves. He won three silver sluggers. Uh, and he won a World Series. He had a World Series winning hit. Right? Yes, he did. Yeah. At least well, one. What more do you What more do you need? Maybe, maybe more than one. Did he have more than one? Did Did he have a, another World Series? Uh... I, I don't know. I remember the one with the I think Marlins. he had for the Marlins. He had the, the World Series winning hit for the Marlins, too. Yes, that was the one I was remembering. What was the other one? Was he doing... With the Giants. Oh, right. That was last year when he won the MVP. It was a World Series MVP. I mean, that's ridiculous. Now, now it's like an embarrassment of riches. And the other thing I'll say <laughs> is the real reason he should be the MVP is because he made the last out of the 2004 World Series. He grounded the ball back to Keith Folk. Uh, that Keith Folk then underhanded to Doug Mankiewicz. And you want everybody involved in that last out to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. Why would? Of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Derek Lee uh, was a Derek Lee was a good. You know, and it's it's because it's funny because like, look, Derek Lee's not a Hall of Famer in my mind. Obviously, he is in yours. Totally disagree. Um, <laughs> Derek Lee is a. Good baseball. So Derek Lee had that. He had the one big year. Yeah, where he hit three thirty five with fifty doubles and and one hundred twenty runs and all of that. I mean, he probably could have won the MVP that year. Yeah, uh, won a couple of Gold Gloves. Derek Lee was a very very good baseball player. Derek Lee is the prime example now. Now, so if Melvin Moore was a guy who had one year where his he hit his ceiling, right? Now you're saying Derek Lee is the next step up from there, which is he had like four or five years right at that ceiling. Uh, and it it's and but it won't you know he won't sniff the Hall of Fame even though obviously no. he deserves to be there according <laughs> to me. But yeah, that that year when he was again, it's around. It's always the same time. It's a twenty-seven to thirty-two ish. Uh, yeah, he was third in the MVP voting that year, and the two guys above him were Pujols. Pujols won it, and Andrew Jones was second. And yeah. you know those that's probably about right. But you could certainly make the argument that Derek Lee was a better player than Andrew Jones that year. And he was pretty close to Pools. Like, if yeah. you really break it down, like, their stats, their counting stats were nearly identical, basically. And, the, you know, the, the slash line, Pools was 330, 436.09. Derek Lee was 335, 418, 662. Um, you know, Pools is baseball reference has him as 8.4 war. Derek Lee was at 7.7. I mean, it's within shouting distance. Certainly. And, and you know, he had more than one. He never got back to quite to where he was in 2005, but he had other years of, you know, 900 OPS. He had a 972 OPS when he was 33 with the Cubs. He had 111 RBI that year, 36. And he had multiple years of 35 homers and above. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years of 35 or more homers. It's a pretty, that's a pretty high number of years for that. Uh, you know, it. you gotta, you gotta, you got to at least – you're not going to vote for him, but you're going to, like, hesitate when you look at his numbers, and then you're not going to vote for him, even well, though, as I've already proven, he deserves to be in the house. <laughs> but, but this is where – I'm what... sorry. I have to correct this. I was looking at doubles. <laughs> 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 he had two years of 35 or more homers, four years of 30 or more homers. He had a 46 home run year. Yeah. Um, home. By the way, that's worse than the, than the uh, 
Blue Apron thing right there. Just <laughs> you you go with doubles and, instead of homers. At least I pre, at least I prefaced mine thing by saying I've done no research. So <laughs> oh, like I that's just a natural preface for me, obviously. <laughs> um, in all in all, let, let's talk for this in all seriousness for just a moment. When you're trying to pick Hall of Famers, okay. And, and all of these players, from here on in for sure, all of them had Hall of Fame type years. Yeah. For you, how okay, so let's and let's focus it like on Maglio Ordonez, who's who's our next guy. Okay. Maglio Ordonez had probably well, he had I, I don't know. It looks like he had five seasons where he hit three hundred with twenty five plus homers and hundred RBIs, maybe more, six seasons, seven seasons in that range. Uh he hit three oh nine for his career. Yeah. So at what point like, do you do you say, okay, look, that was Manuel Ordonez was an outstanding player, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Like, what, like, what has to for you? Like, where does that line get crossed? Well, I mean, partially, it's that like you know he missed huge chunks of two years in his prime, which yes. which greatly depresses the kind of basic stuff that you're going to look at. Um, he also retired a little early, and his last two years were basically a wash. Right. Um, it, I mean, actually, the second to last year wasn't bad, but he only played 84 games. But, you know, it's just, it's like, the, so he, let's say his best year, Ordonez's best year, he's, he's 33, he's playing for the Tigers. He has 54 doubles, he has 216 hits, 117 runs. It's 363 that 363 year. with 1,000 OPS. <laughs> 28 homers, 139 RBI for, uh, you know, uh, he was an, he was second in the MVP voting. It's basically like then you, okay, so you take that as like, wow, that's a Hall of Fame season. That's a season that right. a Hall of Fame player will have. But he just never, he didn't have that season again. He ever, no. like he, you know, he, he, he was in the rough range of that season a couple times. But he never had a, another season that by itself is in, so eye-popping. And, and, you know, when he was 28 with the White Sox was probably the next best year. He had 38 homers and 135 RBIs, 978 OPS. And that, that's like a great year, obviously a great year. But, like, you need to have that year 10 times. Right, that's or, the thing. You know, it just – and because, like, as good a hitter as he was, and he was great hitter, you get to the end of the day and he, had, he didn't even have 300 homers. I mean, it, you know, he played 15 years and he didn't have 300 homers – which means he didn't average 20 homers a year for those, you know, for the, it's just like a, it's a weird thing. It's like, it's, these guys can have these phenomenal stretches, but then at the end of the day, it's just like, yeah, he just wasn't, he didn't just do it enough times. Yeah. That's, that's what it is to me. It's like, you can have like, and, and this is sort of gets at your argument of Nomar. Nomar had four or five years that were not hall of fame level. They were, like upper echelon gold standard Hall of Fame level. You know what I mean? They're yeah. like they're ten out of ten like seasons. I think I think your point is right. I think I think Ordonez had one of those seasons. Right. That three sixty three year. Now he had a bunch of nine, you know, on a scale of ten seasons, which is what I just said Eddie Murray did forever. So yeah. if you could do that forever, you're going to the Hall of Fame. But but if you want, you know, if you're not gonna have that long a season, you've got to have those crazy good years right yeah. i mean that's that to me is the difference is and that's why no more i think is if no more had even had like a second half to his career at all yeah. i think he 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 would have had a real hall of fame shot because he'd had those like incredible gold that's why mike trout's in mike trout's had five of those incredible gold standard years in my view there's nothing mike trout can do to play himself out of the hall of fame he's in yeah. 
Yeah, you know? except except like have a catastrophic injury that ends his career. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it just ended, even but even then, then you have the Kofax argument, right? That he still was right. so good for what, such a short period of time. You know, you basically argue it's what people refer to as like the peak argument, right? If, right. If your peak is so high that it's undeniable that you were like a once in a generation player, then if you just kind of hang around, even if you never really get close to that peak again on either side of it or whatever in Trout's case like in the latter you know three quarters of his career right you, you still he'll still get to the certain benchmark kind of like you know he'll get 3,000 hits even if he if he if he averages like 160 hits for the next whatever how many years he'll get to those 300 hits he'll get to whatever however many home runs you think you need however many stolen bases you think you need so and his but his peak will have been so high that you'll everyone will have agreed that he was the best player in baseball for five or six consecutive years. And you'll also go back and you'll look at years like Bryce Harper's year two years ago and go like, wow, that guy, you know, that's on what an unbelievable year. He might have been better than Trout that year. And then you'll look at the year that that Harper had last year and go, oh, yeah, then he couldn't sustain it because right. that level of play is so unsustainable. And the fact that Trout sustained it, is is the evidence that you need to vote him in, even if his career never didn't hold up to that standard? I, I, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, we are we are going way too slow, so we're going to have to just start throwing some people together. JD Drew and Mike Cameron, um, Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers. Just not even a doubt in your mind. JD Drew had some huge hits for the Red Sox in the postseason. Sure, that's uh, enough. <laughs> that's enough. Cameron <laughs> made some incredible. Rob, remember that home run he robbed? Everybody, we all all we did is talk about Mike Cameron and that home run he robbed that time. Well, yeah, he's he robbed a few, but I, the one you're specifically talking about was just he, Mike Cameron was a good player, very Mike good Cameron player. Replaced Ken Griffey Jr. and on that Mariners team, right? He took over. Everybody thought That's the right. Mariners were doomed, and then they like. I mean, it wasn't just Mike Cameron, but he was a center fielder on that team, and he was great. And Ichiro was in right. That was a that was an insane defensive outfield they had that year. It was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. All right, here we go. Uh, Tim Wakefield, Hall of Famer. That's all you're going to say about Tim Wakefield? I mean, what do you what do you what do you need to know? I mean, Tim Wakefield. <laughs> the, first of all, he he pitched for 41 years. He threw a knuckleball. <laughs> he was the best knuckleball pitcher probably in history. He was a member, as we all know, of the 2004 Red Sox and the 2007 Red Sox, in uh, the 2013 Red Sox, maybe even I think. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he won he won 200 games. Uh, he you know he threw a million innings. There was here's a great thing about Tim Wakefield. People, uh, Tim Wakefield was one of the fastest working pitchers in baseball. Yes. And some of the short, you think of the knuckleball because the actual pitch moves slowly. You think of Tim Wakefield as a guy who made games last for a long time. When Tim Wakefield would throw a complete game, the game would be over in like an hour and forty nine minutes. It was amazing. Yeah, it's great. I love Tim Wakefield for for a lot of reasons. Obviously, I love that he was a like a no hit infielder who was like, "Hey, by the way, I just fool around with the knuckleball." I love that. I just yeah. love, and of course, love the knuckleball. But really, what I love most is when you went to see Tim Wakefield pitch. You had no idea what you were going to see. That's right. Like, he might just go out there and just give up like fifteen consecutive home runs, or he might just go out there and throw a two hitter. You had no idea what you were going to see. Yeah, yeah. So and he had no idea. Incredibly entertaining. Oh, what fun. All right. Uh, there are two catchers. Uh, there are actually more than two catchers. There's three, but there are two catchers of some interest to you, yeah, I know. Sure. Uh, Jason Veritek and Jorge Posada are both on the ballot this year. Uh, I think many people would uh, 
say that Posada is the the better of the two players. Uh, what is your Hall of Fame take on those two guys? Veritek, obvious Hall of Famer, uh, <laughs> captain of those Red Sox teams. Uh, that alone gets him in. But really, the the main thing that gets him in, and I think even non-Red Sox fans can appreciate this argument, is he was the guy who started the fight with A-Rod in that game at Fenway in July of 2004. Um, that uh, is one of the, one of the more famous uh, moments in the Red Sox-Yankee history. And also, sure. the, the funny thing about that fight, and you know, you can see that there's a great picture of you know of the of the moment that fight started. But the great thing about that fight is that Red Sox fans all have this revisionist history that it's like, well, that was the thing that kickstarted their season, and they were, you know, in that game they came back from a big deficit, and Bill Miller ended up hitting a home run off Mariano Rivera to win the game. But and everyone's like, that was the moment that the season turned around. It really wasn't. They went five and five in their next ten games. <laughs> it's a classic, like it's a classic misreading of history. Everybody remembers it as if like a spark was lit, and in the movie version of that season the montage begins with the Red Sox just ripping off victory after victory didn't happen that way at all but it's still fun to it's so fun to think that that was a, a meaningful thing also I think- attributed to Veritek that because of Bronson Arroyo I think someone had just hit him with like a curveball and A-Rod was whining about it and this, the legend that emerged which is definitely apocryphal is A-Rod was in the middle of a terrible slump uh that year and the 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 story was that uh, Veritek said, just walk, go to first, go to first, go to first. And he's like, your guy threw at me. And then Veritek said, we don't throw at 260 hitters, which is, <laughs> would have been a great line, but there's no way that he actually said that to him. But he probably would, did not say that to him. No. But I love that line. It, it reminds me, that's a, the very famous uh, thing where, where Cliff Johnson, when the, when the Kansas City Royals and Yankees in the 70s were were big, big rivals, Cliff Johnson was on the uh, the Yankees, and uh, and he went up to Hal McRae before a game to fight him. Like, let's go fight under the stands because they were they, they hated each other. And he said, let's go fight under the stands. And, and Hal McRae said, I don't fight bench players. So <laughs> I thought... You know, that's pretty strong. Like that's pretty that. strong. Yeah. Now, where in your firmament of hatred is Jorge Posada among the Yankee-hated? I have to say this. Uh, Posada was, to me, the, the scariest, in some ways, the scariest hitter in their lineup. And I'm saying this sincerely. It was such a pain in the butt to have to face that lineup in those years and have a catcher who was as good a hitter as Posada and as patient a hitter as Posada. Posada drove me nuts he was so good and so patient and the fact that he was like a catcher was usually like a weak link in any lineup and Posada was the opposite of a weak link and there were some years I I don't I guess Posada going just by the numbers probably shouldn't be a hall of famer but I I would vote for him just because I I I I, his consistency and how good how patient he was how many times he walked I mean he had 80, 90, 100 walks. I mean, he only hit 100 once, but he reliably had 70 to 90 walks in a season. And he had he had some years that, for a catcher, are remarkable hitting years. Like, really, truly great, great, great hitting years. And I and never got, because there were other guys on that team who were more famous and flashy and, and better, obviously, as hitters, he never got the kind of credit I thought he deserved for being a key huge key part of that lineup and that team he was a, he was a good player he was a good player i remember in 2001 uh the royals opened at yankee stadium and uh 
they were terrible. The Royals were terrible. This was back in those days. And the Yankees, of course, were three-time three time defending champs, I guess. And uh, <laughs> the Royals had called up this kid out of double-A named Tony Kogan, uh, who was super smart guy. Actually, every so often still hear from him. Uh, I think he went to Stanford. I think he's like this incredibly smart guy and, and, and fun guy. And he had never played above double-A ball. And they brought him into the game um, with the bases loaded to face Jorge Posada because the th- the thinking was they wanted to turn Posada around. Posada was a switch hitter, so they wanted Kogan was left-handed. They wanted Posada to hit right-handed. Um, but as you know, uh, being a Red Sox fan and having watched the Yankees, uh, Posada's better right-handed than okay. he is left-handed. Yeah. Um, so they switched him around and Posada hit like an 8,000 foot home run. I mean, it was just, you just, I've never seen like, hey, welcome to the big leagues. Here's Jorge Posada with the bases loaded, home run. And then you, you're, you're not going to make it, kid, uh, but you'll have a story for the rest of your life, basically. <laughs> so, so yeah, very, very good player. Um, all right, we are now up to the people who I think, you know, not to not to knock your uh, your picks for the Hall of Fame so far, but we're up to the 18 or so people who I think have very legitimate Hall of Fame arguments. So I'm going to run down and we're just going to, I'm just going to say yay or nay for you uh, and, and you're just quick thought on each one of them. All right? Yep. Jeff Bagwell. Uh, no way. <laughs> no. Why? Give me one. Why? Just because of all those home runs and hits? I mean, he got. He remember he was. Uh, remember that year the strike happened. Uh, <laughs> and he was on his way to like this insane year, and then he got he got injured on the last game before the strike. So even if the strike doesn't happen, guess what? He doesn't have that amazing year. He's hurt. Uh, real men play through pain. Jeff Bagwell, no way. All right, Bagwell out for you. Uh, I'll I'll vote for Tim Raines. No, of course not. <laughs> Batting average not high enough, not enough hits. Uh, don't care that he created as many runs as uh, Tony Gwynn. Don't care that he was on base more times than Tony Gwynn. Don't care that he uh, stole 800 bases with a phenomenal success rate. Uh, not a high enough batting average. Doesn't get in. The thing that's great about this is there are people listening going, yeah, I agree with them. Tim Ray's yeah, that's my goal. Home. My goal is to try to make, for these people, to try to make the uh, the ignorant argument that people are using to vote against these people. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt Schilling. Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, first of all, disagree with him politically, which is very meaningful when considering how good a person is at playing baseball. Sure. Um, uh, so what? He, uh, you know, wa- only walked 700 people in, you know, 3,200 innings. Big deal. Uh, yeah, he had some postseason success. Fine. Whatever. Was he ever better than, was he ever better than Randy Johnson? No. So if he wasn't even the best pitcher on his team, how can he be a Hall of Famer? Fair point. Fair point on the Randy Johnson thing. Yeah, he never was the best pitcher. No, because Pedro was on the 2004. <laughs> Red Sox. Are you? I mean, Schilling had a better year that year. Schilling had a better year actually that year. Yeah. Pedro's a better pitcher, so no, forget it. All right, he's out. Roger Clemens. No, of course not. <laughs> Can't vote for Roger Clemens for the Hall of Fame. He may or may not have done a thing that baseball didn't care about whether people did. Can't vote for. Yeah, so, okay, fine, maybe. If you look at his statistics, he might be the greatest pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball, dating back to uh, eighteen, you know, seventy-six or whatever. Uh, Three hundred and fifty-four wins, and you know, all of whatever forty-six hundred strikeouts. Don't care. It's possible. I mean, let's say, let's go ahead and say it. it's very likely. It's probable that he did this thing that was cheating, that baseball didn't care whether he did or not, and for that reason, I don't, uh, I can't vote for him. 
So in other words, there's not even a point in bringing Barry Bonds up to you. Oh, no, of course not. Barry Bonds definitely did the thing that baseball didn't care whether he did or not. <laughs> oh, you know, like, you know let, me, let me revise this. Baseball didn't care whether they did it or not it isn't quite accurate. It's more accurate to say that baseball knew that they were doing it and knew that it was illegal but secretly wanted them to do it and tacitly encouraged them to do it in order to make more money. And for that reason, can't vote for Clements, can't vote for Bonds. And, and I, way, I am absolutely deaf to the argument that Bonds was definitely a Hall of Famer before he did that <laughs> thing. And I'm also, I don't care about that. And I also don't care about the fact that he definitely, by pretty much any measure, the greatest hitter in the history of the game. Don't care. <laughs> it, all of it's meaningless because he did a thing that baseball tacitly encouraged him to do, despite the fact that they knew it was illegal. Do you ever just for fun go back and look at those Barry Bonds years? Just, oh, just... I literally—I'm not joking. I do it once every three months. I'll go. <laughs> I mean, it's—it's it's essentially pornography, like it's baseball <laughs> pornography, to look at those years. It's incredible. It's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's insane. All right, Edgar Martinez. No, no, <laughs> no. And you know why? He's a designated hitter. Designated hitters can't go in the Hall of Fame. Can't vote a designated hitter in the Hall of Fame. I don't care that it's a position and has been a position in baseball since the early 70s what does that matter to me i don't care that he was an, an incredible hitter who hit for power who hit to all fields who hit for hit doubles and, and was had a 418 career on base he's a designated hitter not valid hall of famer read my lips so great about edgar is if he'd only been a horrendous third baseman yeah. He'd be in the Hall of Fame right now. Yes, if he had been the worst fielding third baseman in the history <laughs> of baseball, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. That's correct. Yeah, ever. In the history of baseball, if he'd yeah. been the worst. That's right. Mike Mussina? No. <laughs> no. Did he win never, 300? Never won 20 games in a season. He did his last year. Oh, he did. Last year. Once. So fine. Once. Big deal. <laughs> he won. He didn't win 300 games, buddy. Okay. He didn't. He, was he ever? Did he ever win the Cy Young? No. Never won the Cy Young, didn't win 300 games, only won 20 games once. No way. Don't care that he had phenomenal control. Don't care that he was remarkably consistent over many, 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 many years. And at the very top, one of the probably 10 best starters in his league most of the years he pitched. Don't care. Only won 20 games once, didn't win 300 games. No Hall of Fame for you, Mike Messina. I wonder if we're ever going to see another pitcher who wins 270 games in the big leagues. Great question. You know, I mean, obviously people say that all the time and then somebody comes along and they said the 300 winner was dead and then Maddox and Glavin and all those guys did it. So I don't know. But it just, I'm looking around at, at, at like the very, very good players. Like, you know, look, I think Clayton Kershaw is probably going to have a case as, you know, he's going to he's gonna have his case as one of the great pitchers of all time, maybe the greatest pitcher of all time, if he keeps doing what he's doing. He's not winning that many games, though, right? Because and, and the thing, Kersh, Kersh has a perfect example because he's the best pitcher in the universe. And the universe, yeah. And he and you realize how stupid wins are because you know a lot of the guys who get to three hundred or to get to three thousand hits or whatever those stupid benchmarks are, you know, they barely get there. They limp right. to the finish line. Wade Boggs had like three thousand and ten hits or whatever. <laughs> And, you know, Clemente had exactly 3,000 exactly, 3, hits. Exactly. And, and you realize that Kershaw missed most of last year, a year in which he had was just pitching, like, even for him was pitching phenomenally. And, like, the, you know, the 6 to 12 wins that he maybe missed out on, that is a big deal over your career. You don't think of it, oh, it's a half a year or whatever in one year. 
But, you know, he might get to, like, the 283 mark or something and just run out of gas and not get there. And if he had not been injured a couple of times in his mid-20s, that might be the difference. It's really crazy how many things have to go right. It really is, especially now. Especially now where, you know, you bullpens will pitch the last three innings no matter what almost, and they can blow at any point games. And yep. it's just a different – just different. Just a, it's, 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 a, it's always been a bad stat – it's a almost meaningless stat now. Yeah. All right. Three relievers: Trevor Hoffman, Lee Smith, and Billy Wagner are all on the ballot. I can't even really joke about this because I know it's it's such a weird thing. But I don't think any of them, uh, being sincere, I don't think any of them really deserve to get in. I think the one that you vote for, if you're going to vote for one, is Hoffman. But Lee Smith, I mean, Lee Smith threw really hard. And there's, I I sort of can kind of cobble together an argument, but you know, his career whip is 1.25. That's not, that's not great. That's pretty average actually. Like for, especially for like a, what's supposed to be like a lights out closer. I mean, he's certainly not, he played in a pretty good offensive era. It should be noticed. Uh, It should be noted. Like his ERA plus was 132. Right. And like Hoffman's was uh, like 141, and Hoffman's like a, they he he pitched at a time when there was a lot of offense. Yes, that did. Um, but it's like when you actually look at his numbers, it's kind of not super impressive. Like <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, he had 478 saves. That's what everybody points to. But saves right. are dumb as a stat, and his actual like if, to me, WHIP is the most basic stat for a closer because it's like how many like. You're trying to protect a small-ish lead between one and three runs, and it's just about how many guys you let on base, and it's not that great. Billy Wagner's whip was under one. Yeah, uh, Rivera's was basically one for his career. Hoffman's was a little over one, but like you know, it, Lee Smith's whip was w- much higher than like Schilling's. <laughs> you know, yeah. Schilling yeah. thirty-two hundred innings and Lee Smith threw twelve hundred, thirteen hundred. So like. I, I don't see the argument for Smith or Wagner really, uh, and I and I guess I see it for Hoffman just out of like longevity. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I think Wagner and Hoffman have the same case. I mean, I I you know it's it's close. I mean, I I, I don't know what you do with relievers. I my my gut tells me the very best reliever should be in the Hall of Fame, and the very best reliever is Mariano Rivera, right. and he should be in the Hall of Fame. There's a gap between Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman and Billy Wagner. I mean, there's that's they're not the same. You know, even though even though Hoffman has close to as many saves, they're not the same. They're not close to the same. No. I mean, there's a, I think I think Mariano was almost twice as good as 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 uh, Hoffman was, and that's not. To, I don't know that the line shouldn't be where Trevor Hoffman is. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. It's such a specialty position, not like DH, where DH, you are doing what is the most, by far the most important part for every single player. It's 90% of what a player is graded on is hitting. So it's not the same thing as pitching 60, 70 innings a year. Uh, I just think if you're going to do that, you've got to be so great. I And I did compare it, and people have kind of ripped me for it, and I don't blame them because it's stupid. But I compared it to kickers in the NFL. I think the very best kicker should be in the Hall of Fame. But I think once you get beyond that, unless there's somebody just as good, eh, if there's a gap between one and two, 
I don't need the second person in the Hall of Fame. That's just my viewpoint. But I would say this specifically to them. I, I think Billy Wagner was a better pitcher than Trevor Hoffman. He yeah. didn't pitch quite as long, you can but I think he was a better pitcher. That's, an e- that's a pretty easy argument to make. Just going by, like, again, if you use whip, like his whip was lower uh, just straight up. But also, yeah. you know, Hoffman pitched about 190 more innings or something, or 180 more innings than Wagner did. And gave up 245 more hits. Yeah, uh, which is a lot, a lot more hits. And you know, and there's and Wagner in those 180 fewer innings had more strikeouts. Like he, right. in terms of like what you want your closer to do, he had more strikeouts. He also had they had almost the same number of walks. Hoffman had better control. Um, but it, it, you can definitely make the argument that Wagner is better. I wonder if you shouldn't say that. The way to do this is that there should be one ninth as many closers in the Hall of Fame as there are starters. Oh, I like that. So, however many starters there are, you divide by nine, and that's how many closers there should be in. And then, when you elect nine more starters, you can then elect one more closer. I like that. By the way, there have not been, there are not going to be nine starters in the Mariano Hoffman era that are going to go to the Hall of Fame. Oh, interesting. So I don't think. I mean, I mean, we can count them up. Smoltz yeah, it and depends a little bit on does Clemens eventually get in, right? Right, that's true. Yeah, but it's certainly not going to be eighteen. Yeah. I mean, that's that part is for sure. Yeah, you know. So all right, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, run through some more names. Fred McGriff. Uh, Fred McGriff won't get in. I'm being sincere now. I'm giving. I'm bailing on this uh, thing. I'm doing. <laughs> uh, Fred McGriff won't get in, but I. Fred McGriff was wonderful. I mean, wonderful uh, player. Fred wonderful. McGriff, if Fred McGriff had played from 1966 to like 1994 or something or 84 instead of 1986 to 2004 um he would he would have gotten in he has a, like a, a kind of like you know th- he was one of those guys who just hit 28 to 32 home right. runs every single year like clockwork year in year out he walked a lot he hit a lot of you know he he had a lot of extra base hits he had a lot of years that are he had those a couple years he he what he missed a lot of games in the middle of his career. He only played in 113 games when he well that was the 94 season. Um, he, later in his life, he he after he was 36, I guess 37. I guess you know what I'm wrong. It was really only until the, the very end of his career that he kind of tailed off. But you know he hit 30 home runs when he was 38. He like he he fell out of bed and hit 30 home runs. And he and he was never he was so quiet and so unassuming and so unflashy that he'll never make it, and he didn't reach... He felt seven homers shy of 500. Yeah. And if, but if he had, you know, he had the same number of home runs as Lou Gehrig, not that he was nearly as good a player, but, like, the numbers that he amassed over his long and excellent career would have been much more meaningful if they had happened 20 years earlier. Well, I think that's true. I think that's true. I think he's so close. I think he's the line. Uh, you know, he's right where the line should be. Whether you have him in or out is... Yeah incredibly incredibly close my feeling is there are better players that are not in the hall of fame sure uh so you know as long as that's the case it's a tough argument um he's certainly not one in my mind he's certainly not one of the 10 best players on the ballot this year and you have to vote for no more than 10 um but you know i think he's going to get in i do yeah. i think i think that the veterans will vote him in you know what I and, and he should be and that'd be, that'd be great I if, if they when, did. He, when he played first base he had the most casual catching the ball at first yes. of anyone in the world. And there'd be sometimes really exciting, like, you know, diving stop by the shortstop or like 
jump throw or like you know whatever crazy close play and he he caught the ball with the same amount of casualness every time in my memory just like well and that swing that that swing with the with the bat coming flying over his head after yeah. on the follow through great that was awesome yeah. the McGriff was awesome uh jeff kent uh again i'm bailed just so everyone's clear i've now bailed on my comedic <laughs> take on this uh yeah i don't think i would vote for jeff kent he won an MVP mostly because everybody hated Barry Bond so much. <laughs> Which is amazing because Jeff Kent wasn't exactly Mr. Popularity, by no, the way. No, that, that shows you how much people hated Barry Bond. <laughs> <laughs> he won the MVP uh, in 2000 on the same team as a man who had, like, you know, uh, was, you know, in the, at the beginning of the greatest run of offense in history. And uh, it's, kind of, it's like a bogus award anyway and he i mean you know he played second base and he and and that is that adds some value even though he wasn't a great defensive second baseman i don't think um he there was some value to the fact that he put up big offensive numbers from that position but uh, i don't know i don't i don't see him i don't i wouldn't vote for him would you vote for him yeah I, i i didn't vote for him he he fell a little bit below for me i i'm a little bit skeptical except for catcher I'm a little bit skeptical anymore about any argument where you're trying to say, "Will he hit great for a position?" Yeah, because I think the game has changed. Your best hitters now are shortstops and second basemen, and it used to not be that way. It used to be you would just put, you know, regular fielders, you know, great fielders of those positions, and and it didn't matter if they couldn't hit. That's that's not that's not the case anymore. I mean, there are still defensive specialists that play short, not so much second base at all. But now, if you're like a pretty good hitter and you're not really a first baseman, they'll put you at second. I yeah. mean, that's just kind of where you are. Good point. So I'm skeptical about that. All right. Larry Walker. Larry Walker is the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love Larry Walker. Larry Walker was phenomenal. Like, uh, there are very few people that you would say were are better all-around baseball players than Larry Walker, right? I mean, he, he had like the strongest arm. Yes, he had the and, and like the per, uh, perfect swing, and he hit doubles and he hit home runs. And uh, granted, he, I mean, he he'll I don't think he'll get in just because he played ten years in Colorado. Yeah, and that's the, that's gonna be the problem with him. And then and his Colorado numbers are absurd. I mean, four he had four hundred total bases. Four hundred <laughs> total bases in a year. Like it's like how many people have done that? There's very few people who have done that. Right, but, like, like him and Musial. Yeah, it's like the year that Jim Rice had. In seventy eight, which was right. four hundred total base year, Larry Walker did that. <laughs> but like everyone is like everyone who voted for Rice pointed to that year and was like, "Well, look at that year he had." And it's like, "Well, they, Larry Walker had a better year, probably. Yeah. He had, you know, he 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 had it for a higher average than Rice, and he like he had more. He had a higher slugging percentage than Rice, and he had more total bases than Rice, and he won the MVP, and he had you know forty nine homer. I mean, it, <laughs> that year was ridiculous." And at the end of the day, you know, he, his 17-year career slash line is 313, 400, 565. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, and I mean, I, I would vote for him. I think, he was a, I think he's like a generational player. I agree. I agree. And I did vote for him. And, and do you remember when Larry Walker gave the ball to the fan? Do you remember that, that whole thing? No. It was, like, there, was a, there was a ball that, that looked like it went foul. And Walker went to get it, and I, I don't. I might get some of the details wrong, 
but he thought it was foul, so he gave it to a fan. And then he realized it was fair, and he, like, ripped it out of the fan's hand. <laughs> like, just <laughs> went back to the fan and, like, took the ball back and threw it back in. And then was, like, incredibly Canadian gracious about – I mean, just, just couldn't have been nicer. And, and, I mean, just – I love that guy. And all-time – all-time – like – He's one of the 10 most complete players in baseball history. And that's a different category than greatness, you know. But for guys who could run, throw, hit, hit for power, he's one of the 10 best who ever lived. Um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I I, I agree with you. I don't think he's going to get there uh, anytime soon. But I, I do have hope that he, um, he'll start gaining some momentum. Uh, Gary Sheffield. Uh, I am biased in favor of Gary Sheffield because Gary Sheffield straight up terrified me. Terrify. Uh, Terrifying. And, and I, this is one of the arguments that in the past I have said is an incredibly stupid argument to make. <laughs> the idea of like most feared hitter or like a, a hitter that the league, no pitcher wanted to face. Gary Sheffield to me is the scariest hitter of all time. Yeah. I, I don't – that the, the – the coiled spring oh my gosh. of his of him sitting in the batter's box waiting for the pitch to me is the is the scariest sight in the world. And the thing about Gary Sheffield is like he he was like he was shorter than I am. He was like five eleven or something. And and yet when he was in the batter's box, he was seven ten. He was the he was the yeah. he was seven ten. He was Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> in the batter's box, and and I he hit the ball in. in I believe I will take this to my grave if I live to be 115 years old. I don't think anybody ever hit the ball harder than Gary Sheffield. The only person that I feel like has hit the ball as hard as Gary Sheffield is Mike Stanton uh, or Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo Stanton, yeah. Giancarlo Stanton, I think hits the – when I see him hit, I think, ooh, that's like Sheffield-esque. <laughs> I just love that Sheffield swung the bat so hard. Yes, and he never missed. Yeah, like he didn't. He, he didn't. You swing like that, you strike out three hundred times a year. He never even came close to striking out a hundred times, if I'm not mistaken. No, he never struck out a hundred times, and he had whole years where, like, he would hit. You know, he would hit thirty three home runs, and he in in 1992, which is a pretty uh, you know early in his career, he was 23 years old. He hit 33 homers and struck out 40 times. Yeah, like exactly. You, you hear you like when you read stats like that. It's always about like Yogi Berra. It's about someone <laughs> from a very long time ago, and it's never someone who swings the way that Sheffield swung. So I I would vote for him. I think I absolutely think he he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a it's it's tough. I mean, there are a lot of players that you know, and he had 500 home runs. I mean, that used to be automatic lock. Obviously, you know, he's got that thing where. He may have cheated uh, in a way that baseball didn't mind. Yeah. Uh, so that's a big problem uh, for him. As it is for Sammy Sosa, what is your what is your Sammy Sosa take? Well, obviously the question about most of the rest of the people on the ballot and some of the people we've already talked about is do you care that they maybe or definitely did a thing that baseball tacitly allowed them to do in order right. to make money? Uh so for some people, let's say I'm going to take the position that I no longer care because partly like I'm just exhausted. I'm exhausted by caring about it. I cared about it for a while because when I looked at those Barry Bonds statistics and got just giddy and joyful and, and like just pouring over them, when it was pretty much to my mind definitively proven that he was engaged in a systematic 
cheating scam uh, that was like more advanced than you know the the Russian uh, uh, <laughs> Olympic Committee's cheating scam. It bummed me out because I just wanted to, to believe that someone was capable of these heights. Sure. In the intervening, however, decade or whatever it's been, I've just sort of made my peace with it, and I am very uh, like it's a very slippery slope with the number of different ways in which baseball players have cheated throughout the years both in pitching and in hitting with the number of illicit substances that hitters have taken in order to increase their focus or concentration or energy level or strength or whatever, it starts to get into a real slippery slope where if you're just making a moral stand and saying, no, none of these people should be allowed entrance, by the way, to a museum where people just go to like enjoy baseball. (laughs) It's not even like, it's not the Nobel prize. It's a museum in upstate New York then if you take that stand, that's okay. Like I kind of had that stand for a while because I was bummed out. Sure. I no longer take that stand anymore. I'm now saying like I, I believe that the museum in question is a history of baseball and that Sammy Sosa is a big part of the history of baseball in his era and he did a lot of crazy things that were really uh, remarkable and I think, yes, I would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. It's really, it's a really close one. I and look, you know, I've I've been very much on the record as saying, especially pre-testing, uh, I just I just can't, uh, I I just can't see why we can how we can retroactively, you know, create this. And I and I tend to agree with you about the Hall of Fame. I think the Hall of Fame should have the best players in it. And I have no problem at all if the Hall of Fame said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put on your plaque," you know that you cheated and you did this and this and this. And I, you know, there, there's some people that are, that are bummed because they don't want Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame because they don't want Barry Bonds up there speaking, you know, or whatever. Well, then don't invite him. I mean, I don't, I don't care about any of that. I just think that the Hall of Fame should have the best players in it. Sammy Sosa is a really interesting question for me because Sammy Sosa's case is home runs. That's it. I mean, I don't think Sammy Sosa was not a great hitter. Uh, I mean, you look at his at his uh, on base percentage, his batting average. You take home runs away from him, there's no case. I mean, yeah. he he just didn't offer that much value. So, are home runs in the home run era enough to make somebody a Hall of Famer? For me, it was an easy one this year because he's not one of my ten. So, so that's easy. But that's a boy. That's a questionable call to me whether or not just based on home runs somebody can get into the Hall of Fame if. Indeed, you know, one, I think, uh, and I've said this before, steroids weren't the only reason for all those home runs. I mean, there were many other reasons, including strike zone and 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 different equipment and, and, and basic weight training, even beyond steroids and all these other things. Um, I don't think home runs are enough. I think you've got to bring more to the table than just I hit a lot of home runs. And um, – Sammy Sosa really doesn't bring anything else to the table. I totally buy that argument. I also, like, it's meaningful that the last year that he was a relevant baseball player, he was 35 years old. Like, I know. He, I know. He, shocking, because he, he came into the league so young. He was 20. And the last year that he did anything remotely interesting or meaningful in baseball, he was 35. And then he was out of baseball. Basically. Out of baseball. Um and so, I mean, he he had a weird comeback year, right? He was uh, he with the Orioles. That's right. Uh, well, no, with the oh, with the Rangers, with the Rangers, yeah. in Texas. Yeah, and he he hit twenty one home runs when he was thirty eight. But it, I mean, my what it comes down to for me is like everyone knew what was happening pretty much. Uh, he, he was hitting 
flat-footed home runs the other way, like in St. Louis, and and like, and it was like we all, everyone. This is what it comes down to ultimately. To me, is like everybody knew what was happening, and that no one cared. And the reason no one cared is because he brought a tremendous amount of of joy and interest in the game. He really did. And so, yeah, the the only thing you could say he brought to the table besides home runs was like. Joy, joy, and and he like reinvigorated the game with McGuire. I I totally would buy that argument. If if you want to say like I don't care about steroids, but just straight up didn't didn't do enough different things that were good or Hall of Fame caliber. I I I buy that. I mean well, that's that's a, that's a pretty good argument. It's kind of the argument from McGuire too. Same right. thing. It's, it's exactly, to me, it's exactly the same argument for those two guys. Yeah, McGuire did walk. That was the one thing McGuire did do. McGuire yeah. walked, so so really didn't walk. But yeah. but anyway, yeah, that's the. That's the interesting. All right, uh, let's really quickly. Ivan Rodriguez, Pudge, in or out? Uh, again, we're putting the steroid thing aside. If you put the steroid thing aside, I don't see how you don't vote Pudge in. Yeah. Uh, well, and there's a perfect example. Let's assume the steroid thing. He did hit a lot of home runs for a catcher. He had 311 home runs uh, for a catcher. Uh, wasn't a great hitter, by the way. It was like a he had some really, really good years, his MVP year and 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 others. Wasn't a great hitter, but really was an amazing defensive catcher. I yeah, mean, just I, my my main argument for him would be defensive. Yes, I, absolutely. I, I, like, there were there was a there was a 10, 12 year period where he was the to my mind the best defensive catcher in baseball, and it wasn't close. Like. Yeah. That's right. In every aspect, I mean, he threw guys out from his knees routinely, picked guys off from his knees. He had a, he had like a, you just, you, it was, he was, he was a massive influencer of the game uh, defensively. And, and that matters more to me than the offense. And, the, you know, he's very good offensively, especially in the middle of his career. Uh, when the you know the drugs that he probably definitely took were, were <laughs> enhancing his power, but I I I just feel like defensively he was such a monster that uh, he, he might be he might be the greatest defensive catcher ever. I mean that's really where it gets very interesting. Nine times he led the league in straight throwing out base dealers, um, which is amazing because at some point people just stopped trying. That's right. Steal against yes, him, and he still and he would still lead the league like that. Was yeah, he still led the league in percentage. Yeah. I mean he was insane. Um, all right. Well, I did vote for him, as, which brings us to our last two. Uh, to me, I, I, it gets to this point, and I've not written yet who, I'm, who I picked, um, but it gets to this point where I literally filled out a ballot with both of these names on it. Interesting. Vlad Guerrero and Manny Ramirez. I filled out two separate ballots, and, it, and I had both names. I had one name on one ballot and one name on the other. Um, what do you think between Vlad and Manny? I mean, it's that I get it. It's razor thin to me. Razor thin. Um, uh, I the Vlad Guerrero is like a, they're both they're they're different kinds of the same person, which is a right-handed hitting savant. Yes, they're two different kinds of savants. Vlad Guerrero was a hitting savant who looked who played the game like an alien who <laughs> was told to just just given a bat that he, and he didn't know what the bat was for. And then he would go up and a, someone would throw something at him and it didn't matter where the ball was, he would hit it. And he, he would hit pitches over his head and he would hit pitches that bounced in the dirt and he would hit curveballs that almost hit him and he would hit sliders that would have hit a left-handed hitter in the leg. And he would, all of them, with power to all fields, at any moment, there was no, he was the most unpredictable hitter and the best, most unpredictable hitter that, that anyone has ever seen. 
And he managed to do that. He managed to hit incredibly well that way for way longer than anyone is supposed to be able to hit that yes. way. But what's supposed to happen to guys who don't walk very often, who are not looking to walk, and who are, and who swing at terrible pitches and who swing at like any literally anything is when they're about 30 they're supposed to they're 29 28 maybe they're supposed to stop being able to do that because their wrists slow down and their reflexes slow down and they're not in their athletic prime and they're not you're not supposed to be able to do that forever but he 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 just kept doing it he just kept hitting for like a high just straight up batting average for a long time swinging at anything that anyone would ever throw and it, it i i don't understand it and Manny was a different kind of hitting savant which is to say he would do, there would be stories about him which may or may not have been true but if they weren't true they seemed true and the stories would be that someone would throw him a like a a pitch that was like you know middle in belt high and he wouldn't swing at it because he wanted the pitcher to think that that was a pitch he was susceptible to so that the next time the pitcher threw that same pitch he would crush it for a home run <laughs> he was a right-handed hitter who would get so far inside the ball on an inside fastball or breaking ball that he would hit home runs to left field that sliced instead of curved. Like most of the time when you pull balls down the left field line, they're going to curve foul, but he would get his hands so far inside the ball. He would actually slice balls back fair sometimes. I mean, he, he was like, he, he was like an alien dropped to earth who had been given a complete comprehensive history of the game and every single thing that had ever happened and was, constantly calculating in his brain exactly the way to approach every single different pitch so i i mean i don't know how you vote how did you how did you break the tie i would have voted for both of them fortunately i don't have to vote <laughs> but i would have well, voted, how did you what did who did you go with well to to vote um i, I would have loved to vote for both of them obviously there it was a dead tie for me a dead tie um but i i left i had the other nine people that we have already mentioned um i had to put them on and that did not include trevor hoffman or, or any reliever i still had nine uh, others to to put on the ballot so it was it was hard for me it, it's and and this is guerrero was was a little bit better all-around player than manny but manny was a better hitter and manny was you know as great a hitter as as guerrero was I, Manny might be the best hitter I've ever seen. I mean, he was, you know, I mean, obviously you have Bonds and you have Pujols and you have those guys, but just from a guy who just, I, I don't even know how you would even describe just how good a hitter was. He was a genius of yeah. hitting, which is the only time you could ever use the word genius anywhere near Manny Ramirez. <laughs> Manny Ramirez did test positive for steroids. Yeah. And I've made it very clear where I stand. Uh, I think the Hall of Fame is for the best players, um, but it was. But he did test positive, and he tested positive after baseball did start to care. Right. Right. So, so that that is a little bit different. That's a little bit different. I agree. Um, so, you know, man, it's close. It's just so close, and I it it bothers me i'm, I'm even debating because I'm, I'm doing i'm finishing up my piece i'm debating whether to even tell people who i voted for because i don't think it's fair that i had to pick one i mean i they're both hall of famers and they both should be on my list uh and it and it's upsetting to me that i only got to vote for one wow how about that was that me talking my way out of that or what Auto finish i like it it's exciting 
It is exciting. It is exciting. So there you go. There's our Hall of Fame. We did it. We nailed it. We got it all right. We got it. <laughs> we, we got it all right, and it only took us an hour and twenty minutes to do it. The last thing I'll say before we wrap this up is Reigns gets in this year, right? You think? All right. Here's the yeah. Real quick, we should say this: Reigns is in. Bagwell's in. That's a lock. I think Pudge is in. I think Yvonne Rodriguez is getting in. That's three. Uh, and then uh, two, four and five are. Um, whether Vlad Guerrero is going to get in, that's going to be very, very close. I think he's going to fall a little short. And uh, Trevor Hoffman, who I think is going to fall a little short. But both those guys have real good chances. It's not impossible we'd have five this year, which would be pretty much unheard of. We've never had that, not in my lifetime. What do you think is going to happen to Jonah Carey (laughs) when Tim Raines gets in? Is his head just going to explode for those have, for the, for those of you that uh, that that don't know and, and and everybody should know Jonah has been on a one man rampage and as many of us have joined him on this rampage I should say but Jonah has clearly been the leader in the get Tim Raines are you insane how are you leaving Tim Raines out of the Hall of Fame club and I do think his head will explode yeah and it, it, I mean no one will be happier even maybe than Tim Raines I think Jonah <laughs> will be that happy. I think Tim Raines will call Jonah to congratulate him. <laughs> you know what? The, the call from the Baseball Hall of Fame shouldn't go to Tim Raines. It should go to Jonah. And then the, and the cameras should be in his house and, and just see him start to cry. That will be a very moving moment. And Tim Raines should then come over to comfort Jonah. Say, Congratulations, buddy. You did it. That's what he should say. If if ESPN does not have a camera on Jonah Carey while Tim Raines is speaking on the stage, then they've got it. They've done it all wrong. They've done it all wrong. Well, good luck to uh, good luck to Jonah. Let's say that right now. Good luck, Jonah. We're pulling for you. I hope this is your year. I think it's his year. I think it's going to happen. Well, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.